Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 10th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with this week's news. A new U.S. Government Accountability Office report identifies the biggest violators of health care fraud. The GAO report on health care fraud was conducted in September and analyzed criminal and civil fraud cases in Medicare, Medicaid, and the Children's Health Insurance Program. Common health care fraud schemes include providers or suppliers billing for services or supplies not provided or not medically necessary, purposely billing for a higher level of service than was provided, misreporting data to increase payments, paying kickbacks to providers for referring beneficiaries for specific services or to certain entities, and stealing providers or beneficiaries' identities. Of the nearly 8,000 individuals and entities investigated in criminal health care fraud cases, the plurality, 18%, were medical facilities, including medical centers, clinics, and practices. An additional 16% were durable medical equipment suppliers. Among the individuals and entities investigated in criminal fraud cases, 3% were beneficiaries of health care programs. In the majority of criminal fraud investigations, the HHS-OIG did not refer the case to the Department of Justice for prosecution. Still, of the 1,000 individuals and entities charged in criminal fraud cases, 925 of them were found guilty, pled guilty, or pled no contest to some or all of the criminal charges. Of those cases that were prosecuted, the most frequent subjects were medical facilities and durable medical equipment suppliers. With civil fraud cases, including cases that resulted in judgments or settlements, the most frequent targets were hospitals and medical facilities. Hospitals constituted 20% of the 2,300 civil fraud cases investigated in 2010, and medical facilities accounted for 18%. Less than 1% of those involved in civil health care fraud cases were beneficiaries of health care programs. In its semiannual report to Congress, HHS Office of the Inspector General stated that at least $64 billion was lost to Medicare fraud in 2011. And in regulatory news, Insurance Commissioner Jones is recommending a pure premium advisory rate for workers' compensation insurance of $2.56 per $100 of payroll. This is a 2.8% increase over the current rate. The purpose of the pure premium rate process is to review the costs in the workers' compensation insurance system and to determine a set of advisory pure premium rates that are reasonably predictive of those costs over the next year. The Department of Insurance does not set workers' compensation insurance rates, but this review is intended to confirm that rates filed by insurance companies are adequate to cover benefits for injured workers and to provide for reasonable claims adjustment expenses. Pure premium is often misunderstood by the general public and by employers who are required to have workers' compensation insurance. The pure premium rate is the rate needed to cover the cost of benefits and loss adjustment expenses for future claims. The pure premium is expressed as the average cost per $100 of employer payroll, 
also known as the Advisory Claims Cost Benchmark. Workers' compensation insurers are free to set their rates wherever they choose, with one of only a few exceptions. Those rates have to be sufficient to make sure the companies remain solvent. The Department of Insurance claimed that companies are paying out 116% more in claims than they are collecting in premium. Jones rejected the WCIRB analysis saying that the WCIRB governing committee relied on significantly outdated information in reaching its recommendation. The Division of Workers' Compensation has posted to its online forum draft regulations implementing Senate Bill 863's mandate to establish a lien filing fee. A filing fee of $150 will now be required for certain liens filed after January 1, 2013. This fee will apply to most liens filed for medical treatment services and any claims for costs that are filed as liens, for example, hearing-related interpreter services. $100 activation fee will be required for those liens filed before January 1, 2013. This new activation fee must be paid at the time a lien claimant files a declaration of readiness to proceed or appears at a lien conference. Because SB 863 also requires lien claims to be filed electronically, the new draft regulations incorporate the e-file reference guide the Jet File Business Rules and Technical Specifications, the eForms Agreement, and the Jet File Agreement. The Division of Workers' Compensation has also posted to its online forum draft regulations regarding interpreters and qualified medical evaluators that implement Senate Bill 863. The draft interpreter regulations define a qualified interpreter for purposes of medical treatment appointments. It also deletes the def definition for provisionally certified interpreters and adds a fee for medical treatment appointments to the fee schedule. Revisions to the interpreter hourly fees will be made after the DWC conducts a required study. The revisions to the QME regulations include implementing SB 863's limitation of 10 QME offices, amending the panel selection forms 105 and 106, and providing a procedure and form to request a factual correction for an unrepresented panel QME. The new regs also requires the QME to complete the Physician's Report of Work Capacity if the evaluator declares the injured worker permanent and stationary. Some of the architects of SB 863 claim that the new law is a game-changer. Sean McNally, Vice President of Corporate and Governmental Affairs for Grimway Farms in Bakersfield, was one of the employers who sat in on SB 863 negotiations. He was also involved in the Schwarzenegger negotiations back in 2004. Grimway is a large agricultural producer with about 4,400 workers in California. McNally the new, says the new law can be a real game-changer if it works the way it was designed. SB 863 was designed to contain costs in several ways while increasing permanent disability benefits for workers. Two prime cost reduction goals were to change the way in which the system deals with permanent disability and how medical bills and billing disputes are handled. 
Lost time and lost money are what William Zachary hopes SB 863 will yield. Zachary is vice president of risk management for Safeway. The Pleasanton-based grocer employs nearly 180,000 workers in the U.S. and is one of California's largest employers. Like McNally, Mr. Zachary was among the handful of employers personally involved in the negotiations for SB 863. Mr. Zachary credited the success of the negotiations to the fact that they were limited to labor and employers, the two groups most directly involved in workers' comp. And the goals of both were, in the end, very similar. Both employers and labor complained the system was too complex and tough to navigate. Employers were concerned there were non-medical professionals making medical decisions, that liens were driving expenses up, there was unnecessary medical treatment, which was too often easily authorized, and unauthorized and unknown medical treatment was being provided, and also that delays in claims often led to a year or more to get a qualified or agreed evaluation. Additionally, employers argued workers' comp decisions from the courts, including the Olga v. case, the Almarez-Guzman case, and the Valdez case were deteriorating savings achieved in the Schwarzenegger reforms. And employers wanted psychological disorders off the table when considering work comp claims. Labor's primary goal was to increase permanent disability benefits, which they felt were inadequate. They wanted to address poorly managed medical provider networks and to fix delays in benefit deliveries. One thing most employers agree on is that less litigation may be chief among those things producing cost savings. The California Chamber of Commerce has obtained DWC approval for their version of the required SB 863 workers' compensation notice and pamphlet. The Cal Chamber's 2013 California and Federal Employment Practices poster and workers' compensation pamphlet both contain language required by law for January 1, 2013. The Cal Chamber kit provides a single poster with the 16 California and federal notices every California employer must post, plus 20 copies of each of the five pamphlets employers' employees must receive. The kit includes mandatory updates to the Federal Family Medical Leave Act, the State California Family Rights Act, and Pregnancy Disability Leave Notices. These are mandatory updates based on recent legislative and regulatory changes which become effective next year. The kit also contains legally required updates to the Discrimination and Harassment Notice, the EDD Notice, the Workers' Compensation Notice, plus all five pamphlets effective January 1, 2013. The employer needs both the English and Spanish versions if any of its workers are Spanish-speaking. And in other news, Janet Frank has joined Pacific Compensation Corporation as President and Chief Executive Officer. Ms. Frank will also be named as Chair of the Board of Directors of Pacific Comp. Ms. Frank previously was President and Chief Operating Officer of Zenith Insurance Company. Prior to joining Zenith, Ms. Frank was President and CEO of the San Francisco-based California State Compensation Insurance Fund and Executive Vice President of North America Field Operations for CNA Financial. 
In connection with Ms. Frank's appointment, Pacific Comp's current president and chief executive officer, James Little, and current executive vice president and chief financial officer, Ronald Grodin, will be leaving Pacific Comp. And with that, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.